Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Heavenly Father, as we open your word now, we pray that our hearts would be attentive to your word, that we would listen to your word, Lord. Uh, We worship you, and uh, you have expressed uh, your will for us uh, to understand you, to know you, to know the work of salvation uh, through the written word that you have given us. And so we pray now that this will be a time of continued worship as we read your word, consider together, and apply it to our lives. Bless our children as they meet as well. Uh, and as a word to go forth to them, and might their hearts be open to it as well. We love you, and we thank you for this time we can spend together now. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 24. And this it just so happens that this week, for those of you who are reading through the Bible, um, I say with us in the sense that we have, we have we've encouraged for those who would like to read through the Bible this year, There are lots of different uh, good Bible reading plans, and we have made one available to you that if you'd like to read uh, both Old and New Testament, or you can read just the New Testament, and it's about a chapter a day for the five days, Monday through Friday, and the weekend you can get caught up on if you missed any. And it just so happened that Friday was the chapter we are studying together or looking at together in our morning service today. So I wanted to take a minute and just let's just read this entire chapter. And uh, you can see how uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to read a chapter a day uh, to read through the New Testament. And if you'd like to, you can pick up a reading schedule back and you could start in uh, this week. And uh, somewhere along the line, you could go back and get caught up uh, through where we have been the last few months. But let's just read. I want you to read. I like to read this account, this story, this lesson in its entirety And then I want to go back, and we're going to look at it together this morning. Five days later, the high priest, chapter 24, Ananias, went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you. And your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix. We acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and he even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews joined in their accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor mentioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets, and I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. 
After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance, but there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or those here should state what crime they have found when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing. I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he says, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was the Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So tomorrow, if you read chapter 25, uh, you'll be right on schedule and uh, keep reading. It took about two, not quite two and a half minutes to read that chapter, which it would take a day. But this is our uh, lesson for today from this chapter. And uh, how many of you have ever heard or you have said to someone, don't call us, we'll call you? You ever said that? Or you ever heard that? What does that generally mean? You're not going to call, right? Or they're not going to, yeah, well, yeah, don't call us, we'll call you. That means they're not going to call, generally. But in this case, uh, Felix uh, said, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. But he did call. He called frequently. And he asked Paul to come back. And there's sort of a, it seems to be kind of a combination. He wanted to hear Paul, and he was also hoping to get a bribe. And we'll, we'll come back to that. But this account of, of the Apostle Paul in this part of his life takes place in the city of Caesarea. Last week in chapter 23, we saw this uh, tumult in the temple grounds where Paul was uh, in the middle of this um, riot, if you will, when he, when he talked about uh, the, the resurrection and they were going to pull him apart and, the, and they took him aside. And we didn't really cover this on Sunday morning. We mentioned this on Sunday night. But if you notice, when, it, when they had to get Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea, look what it took to get him there. Verse 23 of chapter 23. The governor calls two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight and provide horses mounts for Paul so he can be taken safely to Governor Felix. 270 Roman soldiers to escort the one Apostle Paul, this very dangerous criminal, from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Why? For Paul's own safety and to prevent a riot in Jerusalem, which none of the Roman governors wanted because their neck would be on the line if this took place. 270 guards to handle the Apostle Paul. A couple weeks ago, the president was in our a city was up at the Boeing plant in Everett, and uh, there were uh, five helicopters flying over our house. There was Air Force One in the area. There was, you know, 
everything that goes with whenever a president or vice president travels somewhere, um, all the escorts and the secret service, well, 270. And they took Paul to Caesarea. And this, I want to, this, you know a little bit about Caesarea because as you saw at the end of the chapter 24, how long is Paul going to be there? Huh? Two years. This is often overlooked. We talk about the two-year imprisonment in Rome. But actually, from chapter 23, from the time Paul is arrested until whenever he is set free, we think, sometime after Acts 28, we're talking about five years. Two years in Caesarea, travel from Caesarea to Rome, and another two years in Rome. Four to five years. Paul is a, a prisoner, if you will, of the Roman government. Caesarea was a city, uh, obviously named after Caesar, but it was a city that Herod the Great had poured a lot of money and time into. This was really where the Roman governor of Palestine lived. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He only went to Jerusalem when he had to go there. But Caesarea is where the, really the Roman seat of government was. And this is why Paul was taken there, because that is one place they could securely guard him and not worry about a riot. Caesarea is uh, on the coast of Palestine. Um, whoops, my pointer. Okay, well, you, you're, here it is. I got it. I got it right here. Okay. Uh, Caesarea is right here on the, on the coast, coast of Palestine. Jerusalem is down here. So they had to travel all the way up across the Judean hills up to Caesarea um, to take Paul to safety. And this is the governing, this is the governing city for this entire area where the Roman governors stayed. Uh, Pilate would stay there. He would come to Jerusalem when he had to for Passover and things like that. Caesarea, uh, the next one, if, today, uh, if, you look, if you go to Israel today, Caesarea is one of the two port cities on the coast of Palestine. Uh, Haifa up north is the modern port today. But I just want you to notice this, this area of, of Caesarea, this is the old city of Caesarea. And I want you to notice this dark under the waters, that dark shadow that's left of the port city. And we, one person has made a model of this, and, and they think that the Roman, the Roman city of, of Caesarea, the Herod the Built, that this really, what you're looking at here is what that dark shaded area on the other picture was. This was all concrete, cement. This is where the boats would come in to make a safe port for Caesarea. It was the only safe haven, really, on the coast of Israel. It's quite, you know, Herod was quite a builder because a lot of this concrete was poured underwater with snorkels. Okay, how they did it, I, I have no, you know, you get, you have to study that. But they actually poured concrete to build this breakwater for the boats to come in. Today, Caesarea. Also, what Herod did, um, this is an aqueduct, and uh, this came from the north all the way down the city of Caesarea and carried a perfect supply of fresh water to that city, so they had drinking water. It's amazing. You go see that today and, and see what, what Herod built in Palestine. This modern-day Caesarea is a wonderful place to vacation, and uh, it's, a, it's all you think about of the Mediterranean. Thanks, Cliff. But um, unfortunately, Paul was not there on vacation and uh, was not there to enjoy the beaches of Caesarea. Paul's there as a prisoner of the Romans. Now, let's look at this account before Felix. So he's down in Caesarea. And you'll notice in uh, chapter 24 that the high priest comes down to Caesarea and he brings along the elders and a lawyer. This Tertullus probably is not, a, it sounds like a Greek name. So he may have been a, a Gentile, a Roman lawyer. 
that they're bringing down to present their case against Paul. And, the, and so this is a very um, courtroom legal situation. If you've ever been in a courtroom or on jury duty, any kind of a trial or anything, this is exactly what it is. This is a very official courtroom type situation. And the lawyer comes in, and uh, under Roman law, very sophisticated law system, uh, he had uh, the, the accuser had to face the accused, and the accused had the, had the, had the right to, to give a testimony, and it was a very sophisticated system. And so this is what's going on here. They bring a lawyer down to bring their case to Felix to get Paul so they can take him back to Jerusalem and kill him. That's what they want to do, of course. Why do they want to kill Paul? Well, we've seen in the last several chapters, really, there's, there's two reasons. There's two things Paul has said that have really got him in trouble. One was the riot that took place when he simply mentioned that I was God called me and, and told me I'm sending you to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And if you remember that in, in chapter uh, 21, when, when Paul said that, the minute he said that, the place broke up and they said he's not fit to live. Chapter 22, I think it was. Chapter 22. He's not fit to live. Why, why would anybody say this, that they're taking the message of the gospel to, to Gentiles? And then the second thing we saw last week, when he, when he cried out, I am here because of my teaching on the resurrection. And the, and, the, and the Sadducees broke the place up and said, no, he's not fit to live. And so these are the two things that Paul has done in Jerusalem. He has said that God sent him to the Gentile world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the, the message of the body of Christ, the, the church, and that he is preaching the resurrection. And for that reason, Paul's life is in danger and they want to bring him back. We read the case that Tertullus brought before Felix. And uh, he kind of flatters Felix. And when he says in verse 2, we've enjoyed a long period of peace under you. Well, not, not really so. Okay? Uh, this, this was not a good man. You, there's a lot of history. There's actually quite a bit of history of Felix through Josephus, uh, Tacitus, a Roman, uh, the historians. Um, uh, he, he was not a good man, and he was very brutal, and he, he kept the peace through suppression and brutality. But there's this sort of a flattering here, and he brings his case. And you notice, what's the case against the Apostle Paul? What is the legal case that they're trying to bring against Paul? First of all, in verse 5, he's a troublemaker. He has stirred up riots, and he's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and he tried to desecrate the temple. The, the charges against Paul is, number one, sedition. He's a threat to the Roman government because he is trying to incite people to rebel against the authorities. He tried to, he tried to cause a riot in Jerusalem. He's a ringleader of this sect, of the Nazarene sect, which was sort of a derogatory name for the Christians, the Nazarene sect. And he does this every place he goes. And then he goes on to say that, that he, he came in and he purposely defiled the temple by being unclean. He came in to cause trouble within the temple. And this is why he tried to desecrate it. And this is why we seized him and why we are bringing him to you. So those are the charges, the legal charges against Paul by the accusers, the Sanhedrin, that they have brought officially with a Roman lawyer, Tertullus. But I want you to notice today Paul's defense. Verse 10, when the governor, that is, he's the judge in this case, he mentions it's Paul's turn to face his accusers. It's his turn to speak. And the governor motioned for him to speak. And I want you to notice a little bit of Paul's reply. 
I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went to Jerusalem to worship. And we, and we read this. They did not find me arguing. They cannot prove these things. And I want to just stop right there for a moment. And I want to note Paul's defense before the Roman authorities. Because as, we, as you continue to read, and if you, if you do read this week, you'll read 25, 26, 27, 28. You'll, be, you'll finish the book of Acts uh, by next weekend. And you will see that Paul has more occasion... To, to address Roman authorities. And what I want to point out this morning in Paul's response, listen, Paul is being flatly, um, falsely accused. You know, we've read the story. There is no truth at all in any of the charges against him. There is no truth at all. He did not come, he purified himself. He was not unclean. He did not bring a Gentile in the temple unclean. He is not stirring up trouble against the Roman government. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, true, and he did speak about the resurrection. But the other charges against him are completely false and trumped up. They Remember in, in the previous chapter, people falsely accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple unclean and, and, and causing this riot and so on. But you notice Paul's response. And as I, as I read Paul's response here in, in the chapters to follow, the word that, that comes to me is the word respect. You notice how Paul responds? Paul doesn't flatter Felix. Paul doesn't, you know, say, oh, you've been such a great governor and we've enjoyed such great peace. No, but, but he, does, he does tell the truth. You've been a governor of our land. And I stand here today and, 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 and in accordance to Roman law, he gives his defense by himself without a lawyer. He gives his defense. And Paul is very respectful of authority. And you will see that throughout. The only time we see a, a kind of a breach in that was last week when the high priest ordered him slapped. Remember that? When, when, when Paul opened his mouth and he, and, he, and, he, and he lashed out at the high priest. And then we saw that he said, I'm sorry, I didn't know that was the high priest. Whether he was saying that in sort of irony or whether he really didn't know. Either way, he, he made it right. He acknowledged it and he moved on. Otherwise, we see Paul show great respect to authority. And you know, this is consistent with, the, with Paul's writings. In Romans chapter 13, look, let's look at Romans chapter 13. You probably know this passage. We see that the Apostle Paul, and, and I want to mention this because uh, this is sort of contemporary. You know, we are in the middle of the months leading up to an election. And uh, every day, every, every hour, there is news, there is uh, accusations, there are charges going back and forth, there are thoughts and there are feelings and there are opinions. Uh, there was a caucus here in our own state uh, yesterday. And so this is really in front of us right now. Government authority, how we respond. And I want you to know what Paul says in Romans 13, chapter 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And he goes on to say that government has been given by God for a reason, to bring, to bring justice, to protect, to bring the law, and so on. And he even says in verse 4 that the governor is God's servant to do you good. Verse 5, therefore it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. 
And he says, that's why you pay taxes. And he goes on to say in verse 7, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay them. If revenue, pay that. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And the Apostle Paul clearly teaches this. We see the same thing in, in Titus. In Paul's later epistle, now, remember the, role, the governors and authorities that Paul is talking about are Roman governors. There's people like Felix, who is not a good man. Nero is not a good man. These emperors were not good people always. And yet Paul says that we have been called, the church, the body of Christ, have been called to show respect and, 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 and to do what is right. In Titus chapter 3, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. And the Apostle Peter in his epistle addresses the, the, the same thing when he says to submit to the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether they be the king's or governors who are sent by him to punish those who are wrong. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up to do what is wrong. So we see in the epistles clearly these commands that we are to be respectful of authority and obedient of authority until that authority asks, as, as the Lord was told when he, when he says, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God, the things that belong to God. And I want to just emphasize this this morning. As we read the book of Acts together, as we read the next couple of chapters, I want you to note this. I want you to know how Paul practices what he preaches here, that he is respectful of authority. Even in a situation where he's being falsely accused, he's before a Roman governor who is not known to be a, a moral man, and yet he is respectful of authority. And I just I want to just emphasize that. As we, we are in this election year, you know, as Christians, as Christians, whatever your political leanings, your feelings, and as, and as, and as things go on this year, and you're involved in discussions and, and maybe debates and involved in politics and so on, I want to remind you that as Christians, we are called to be respectful. This is an opportunity for us to stand out as people who respect. We don't agree always. I know that's true. I don't agree with all the things that happen in my city by the city officials. But we are called to be respectful. And I'm reminded I'm not always respectful in my comments and things I, I say and so forth. And it's, and it's convicting to see the Apostle Paul be so respectful in this situation. And I want to encourage you to show respect. You know, we are teaching our young people by the things we say and how we respond. And I know they're a challenge. I know that, that, that sometimes we, we approach this, that we are called to respect the office and not the person in the office. And I'm not so sure about that. I'm not so sure that's what Paul says here. As I read it, it sounds to me like Paul and Peter are saying, we owe respect to all people. We don't agree with them. We may not, that doesn't mean you endorse them and endorse their decisions and you don't do all you can to help the right decisions be made. And we have that right and responsibility. But at the same time, what are we teaching our young people as far as respect? What are we teaching our grandchildren and children as far as respect for authority with the things we say about leaders and about others where we can disagree? But do we have respect? You know, we had a wonderful time last night. We had over 250 people here, I think, at our basketball 
closing program. And, you know, this basketball league that, that is run at our church, Pastor Kevin and Dan Royal really are the, are the key parts to keep this uh, going every year, put a lot of work into that. And, you know, it's, it, to me, it's the epitome of what we want our young people to learn. You watch these young people all the way up through high school, and they're having fun in high school, pretty exciting games. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and there's competition. But they're learning to play. A lot of these young people have never played before. It's the only chance they've ever had to actually be in a team and play in an environment where it's fun, where it's competitive, and where we emphasize respect. And it's amazing. All day long, every Saturday, for how many weeks? Six or seven? From eight till six at night, we got games going here. And you could come in at any time, and you will see, you will not see people yelling at referees, People fighting, people in your face, people taunting, the things that, that the people making millions of dollars do. You don't see that. Because as part of what we're trying to do as Christians is to teach respect. Whether it's in sports, whether it's in debate teams that are young, some of our young people are involved in debate, whether it's in uh, other activities in their neighborhood, their school, we are trying to teach respect. And I think that's very valuable and very important. And I really see that in the Apostle Paul here. And I wanted to emphasize that this morning, that Paul was respectful. He didn't agree with this Roman governor. And we see that. We'll see that at the end of this. He did not agree with this Roman governor about a lot of things. But he was respectful. And young people, I want to tell you that one of the things that will take you a long way, will take you a long way in your, in your jobs, in your relationships, in your service, if you learn to be people who are respectful, who respect authority, respect your parents' authority, respect the authority of your leaders and teachers, to do it in a way that shows that you are honoring God by respecting those that God has placed in authority over you. Uh, your jobs may not always be easy. Your teams may not, and your coaches may not always be easy, those in leadership. But we learn to respect, and you will stand out. I guarantee you, you can ask anybody here who, who hires people, who employs people, and they will tell you. That for the people who, even if they disagree, but are respectful, are respectful and conscientious in the way they treat authority, stand out and you will shine as a witness for Jesus Christ. And that's the Apostle Paul here. Paul's defense also, I want to tell you, and I want you to notice that Paul makes a logical, legal defense. And we looked at this last Sunday night. This is not like Jesus. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he didn't say anything. Remember that? He didn't defend himself. He just simply said, you're right. And you'll see the Son of Man coming again. They struck him. They abused him. They killed him. But he was in complete control of that situation. He was God. He was in charge. He came to die. This is what had to happen. Paul is not God. Paul doesn't know what the future holds except God has said, you'll, you'll represent me in Rome. That's all he knows. God told him that. We saw in the previous chapter. He is not God. He is not in charge. He does not know what the future holds except for that. But Paul takes advantage of his status as a legal Roman citizen and takes an active defense of his position to try to win his freedom as a Christian. And I want you to see from this passage as well, and I think that we can learn that God has called us to be active. It's good for you to be involved. It's good for you to be involved in your community as Christians. 
Some of you that are involved in, in politics and, and taking leadership and so on. It's good to do that. And we should do that. We should exercise our rights. Paul did. He exercised his right as a Roman citizen. He had a right to a fair trial. The other people, the other apostles didn't have that. Peter wouldn't have had these same rights. He was not a Roman citizen. Peter could not have done this. But Paul was a Roman citizen. God put him in that, that position because as he traveled to the Gentile world to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a Roman citizen, he could travel freely. He had legal rights. And he had the protection of the Roman government. He's in their care because they took him for his own protection because he was going to be killed in Jerusalem. And God put him in that role. And he exercised his rights. And I want to encourage you again as we come to this election year and we come to a time of, of decisions that you exercise your rights to be involved, to be active. We are called to be active. We are called to, to take action, to do things that make sense. And Paul gives a, a, a perfectly logical defense. He says, he says, if they are accusing me, first of all, there's no one here, he says, that, that, can, that can be a witness that he saw what they are claiming. No one saw me desecrate the temple. Ask them, and they couldn't say it. He says, if there's Jews from Asia who are causing problem because of my ministry to the Gentiles, then they should be here. I, I have a right to face them. Where are they? They're not here. He says, none of these things are true. And he exercises his right. He takes an active defense, though circumspect, though respectful, though peaceful. He takes an active defense and exercises his rights with the Roman government and says, yes, the only charge they can level against me is that I did cry out, I am here because of the resurrection. But he says they believe that as well. That's not illegal. Even against their own law, they know that's not true. And I want to encourage you today, friends. God has called us to be respectful. God has called us to be active, wise citizens of the culture that God has placed us in. To use what we know from God's Word. And finally, look at Paul's, this, this very interesting interchange with Felix. Because they didn't have a case. Paul exercised his right. Paul was, uh, Paul was a Roman citizen, and they had no case against him. And there was no one there that could stand up and say, wait a minute, I saw him desecrate the temple. He knew that. There was no one there. And when he mentioned the, the resurrection, and that's why he's on trial, verse 22, then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, that's what Christians are called now. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. The Old Testament closes with the prophecy of the, of the one who would come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. And so they are called the sect of the way, the Nazarenes, but also the way. And he says, and, and Felix, who was well acquainted because his wife was Jewish. Um, this actually was the second uh, Drusilla. His, first, his other wife was a Drusilla as well. And this Drusilla was um, actually engaged to be married at a very young age to another person. And uh, there's a whole story behind uh, two different people she was involved with. And finally, uh, Felix stole her away uh, from her current husband. Everybody knew this. It was well known what a scoundrel he was. And when he, when he calls Paul in, and he sent for Paul in verse 24, and he listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, the Apostle Paul was respectful. The Apostle Paul exercised his rights as a citizen and was active. 
But everything Paul did had to do eventually with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the resurrection and of faith in Jesus Christ. Here was a Roman emperor who needed Jesus Christ, who needed salvation. Yes, he was a sinner. Everybody knew he was a sinner. Everybody knew what was went on with, with, with Felix and Drusilla. And when Paul brought him in, as they talked, look at what Paul talked to him about. Verse 25, as they got together, here's what Paul talked on. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And Felix was afraid and said, don't call us, we'll call you. But he did call him back. And, and Felix had reason to be afraid. It's interesting to me, as we are called to use our judgment, to use our heads, to, to, to God puts us in places to, to be a witness. Do you remember the story of the Philippian jailer we looked at some chapters ago in Acts chapter 17? When he, when he fell down in and, and, and 16 and he said, what must I do to be saved? What did, what did Paul say? Huh? What? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He didn't, he didn't discourse on judgment. He didn't discourse on self-control. He didn't discourse on righteousness. This was an emergency situation. The man was in need. And so the earthquake had taken place. He, he was about to kill himself. Paul stopped him. What must I do when you find yourself in places like that where the message is very simple and direct? Because that is the message of the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You will be saved. Both you and your family. And then there are cases, there are times where God puts us in a long, long-term discussion with somebody. And a, and a person may hear that and they're still not willing. And God puts you in a place to continue that discussion. How many of you have been in that place with anybody? How many of you are in that place with somebody right now? could be a family member where you have a, a long-term relationship and they've heard the gospel, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but they have not done that yet. And they want to talk more about it. And what do, you, what do we talk about? Listen, friends, we talk about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that truth is offensive. Sometimes the, the truth of the gospel is maybe not... This is not what you wanted to talk to Felix about. You didn't want to talk to a guy like Felix who had this reputation for, for being a man of lust, for being a man of, of, of very low moral character, for being a man who, who took Drusilla from somebody else and Drusilla who knew that this was not the right thing. You didn't, and he was the Roman governor. You didn't want to go in and... But Paul did. Because it was the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth is, when you talk about the resurrection, and when Paul cried out, I am here on, on, because of the resurrection, that also included what the Jews believed. Because Paul said, the resurrection of the dead, both the just and the unjust. The resurrection is not just for believers. The resurrection is for all people. Clearly, if you read the book of Revelation, Read the book of Revelation. The, 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 all the dead will stand and be resurrected before God. And their names will be found in the book of life, or they will not be found in the book of life. An eternal damnation or eternal life with Christ, with God. And this is the message of the gospel. And this is not what Felix wanted to hear. But it's the truth of the gospel. And, and Paul, res, Paul reasoned with him and talked with him time after time about his life and about Ducille, about their need for salvation because they were sinners and, and, they, and their need to receive Christ as Savior and to receive the resurrection. And, Drusilla, and, and, and Felix and Drusilla 
were very uncomfortable. But he kept calling Paul back. And I wonder, was it, was it just because he wanted a bribe? He wanted a bribe. It says that there. But was there something in this message that, that they kept drawing him back till finally the day came where Felix was dismissed? He was dismissed by the Romans. He was called back to Rome. And in fact, when Luke writes this, the book of Acts, especially for a Gentile audience, they would have been familiar with this man. He had been recalled to Rome and he was replaced. Did he ever receive Christ as Savior? Did he ever act upon this? Two years he came and went with the Apostle Paul and heard the message. I don't know. That's up to God. That wasn't up to Paul. It wasn't up to Paul to save him. It was up to Paul to bring the message. And if that message was offensive and convicting, he brought the message. And yet Paul did it in a respectful way. He exercised his rights as a citizen. He brought the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tried to change a life. We'll see this later on where he appeals to the Roman governor. I wish that you would be saved. I don't know if Felix ever came to Christ as Savior. I don't, you can't ever discount what happens to a, a, a person in the dying moments of their life. I don't know. That's between him and God. But he has no excuse. He heard clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we come to the end of this chapter... And we'll leave Paul here in Caesarea, a beautiful spot along the Mediterranean Ocean, a place where you would enjoy spending time in Caesarea. But Paul is there as a prisoner at this critical time of the gospel message for two years. Paul is stuck in Caesarea talking to Felix and Drusilla over two years until the new governor comes and he can make his case once again. Let's be respectful. Let's be active and exercise our rights and our responsibilities. And let's be honest with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is someone in your life today, friends, and the gospel might be offensive. Because as, as Kevin Krauss, when he was here a few weeks back, and he shared with us that passage that, that, that we are the smell the fragrance, the aroma of Christ. And to some, it's the aroma of death. To others, it's the aroma of life. That's up to God. That's up to God. But it's up to us to be respectful and faithful and to be honest about what God's Word says. And God will bring the fruit into the lives of others. Let's close our service. Ellen, come and lead us in our closing song. What a a good song. To close our service, we're going to do Jesus Loves Me, right? Jesus Loves Me. How many of you know that song? Oh, good. That's not a new one, huh? Okay. Jesus Loves Me. But what a great song to sing today because the gospel message, when all is said and done, this is the heart and soul of it, that Jesus loves you. Aren't you glad? Come on, stand up. Aren't you glad Jesus loves you today? If you're glad Jesus loves you today, say amen. 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 Let's sing together. I was at the Seattle Symphony and... Uh, the guest conductor was playing the piano and conducting the orchestra, uh, Mozart piano concertos, uh, very well. But he on the piano, um, this right here, I'm not sure, what is this called? Does this have a name? The music stand. Okay, I thought it was something technical, Latin like that. Okay, so on the music stand, as he's facing the, you know, we're sitting here looking at him, his piano's facing this way. There's an iPad sitting on a music stand of his piano. 
And he turns around and talks to us. And he says, introducing the music and so on, but then he also says, I don't want this to you know, bother anybody, but he says, yeah, I have, I want, there's an iPad there. And he said, you know, a problem that p- pianists, especially trying to conduct and play piano at the same time, one of the challenges we have is the turning pages, right? Turning pages. So he said, this software has been developed, and he said, the music is on the iPad, and there's a little foot pedal down here with a Bluetooth that I can tap to turn the page <laughs> and play the music. It simplified things. And once he said that, didn't notice, played this Mozart 6 piano concerto, and it um, was great. Simple. We're all for simplifying our life, aren't we? We just sang the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. It can't be any more simplified than that. Jesus loves you. You know that. Because the Bible tells you, and it's God's word, he died for you. He paid for your sins. He paid for Felix's and Drusilla's sins. And if they ever did receive Christ as Savior, in spite of their wickedness, they will be in heaven just like you will be, through the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, my prayer today, if there be a person here who does not know Christ as Savior, that, Lord, you would open their heart to this simple message. It's our human nature to want to complicate it, to make it difficult. It's part of our pride that that we want to take credit for doing something. And that's the reason it's so simple. It's because your Son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, completely paid the price for our sins. We stand here today, Lord, those of us who know Christ as Savior, completely and fully forgiven of our sins. And Lord, we humbly thank you for that today because we don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And Lord, if there be a person here today who would like to leave this place forgiven for their sins and to know that they have eternal life, and when those books are opened on the day of resurrection, that their name will be found in the book of life, Lord, I pray that they would open their heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ and in humbleness receive that simple message. Jesus loved them. Jesus died for them. Jesus rose from the dead and has opened the door to eternal life and salvation. We give you thanks. May we leave this place and be respectful, responsible, active, wise, kind, and peaceful people in our lives as Christians, as the Apostle Paul was. In his Lord's name, Jesus Christ, we pray today. Amen.